You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Habakkuk. Last time, at least for a season, that we will turn to this uh, wonderful book. I hope that it's been an encouragement to you. It certainly has to me, um, both in its relevance in our day, um, parallels, so many parallels to what we're facing today as Christians um, in just a difficult season, even up to and including this week with major leaders who are leaving the faith, um, having declared uh, that they're no longer Christians and uh, we just we live in a day of chaos, both spiritually and politically and culturally. And I'm thankful that we have instruction from God's word that is so incredibly relevant and helpful. Um, and I think that this book has been profound, especially in the days that we are facing. And the question that we've been asking is, how does the Christian life and mission and message play out in such a broken world? A world in which, yes, Jesus Christ has accomplished the work required for the redemption of sinners from our sin. Amen? Jesus completed the work of redemption on the cross. And we're thankful that on this side of Easter that we celebrate our our uh, freedom and our forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Isn't that good news? But at the same time, we live in this tension where we're trying to figure out in this world where it seems like everything is going from bad to worse, how to live the way God has called us to live and how to continue to live out the mission of God to bring more people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And this was certainly the struggle of Habakkuk, even on his side of the gospel. And what God said to Habakkuk is write the vision and make it plain. And the church today has the same responsibility to make the mission, the vision of God, the instruction of God plain in the world and certainly in the church so that we might run all of us who read it and who hear it. This is the prophet who instead of going to the people on behalf of God, he rather went to God on behalf of the people. A different kind of a, uh, a mission where he represented the people to God, a people who were struggling with wickedness all around them and in the nations around them. And he comes to the Lord and it's kind of this back and forth prayer, right? At the beginning, God, I know you're holy, but you seem to be silent and inactive in the face of such great injustice in Judah. So when are you going to do something about this? And God says to Habakkuk, essentially, I'm not silent, I'm going to act. I'm going to bring Babylon against my people for the sake of their judgment. 
Habakkuk again objects and that doesn't make any sense, God. You're a just God. You're a holy God. Why would you bring a more wicked people against your people and act so seemingly unjust? And God says to Habakkuk, don't worry. I'm going to bring even greater judgment against them, against Babylon for their sin after I've used them to judge my people. And then I will ride out for the salvation of my people. This is the message God gives to Habakkuk. And in the midst of that, we get to chapter two and he says, or chapter three, rather. And he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. And so he says in response to all that God has told to him, I want to pray, God, that you would revive the work you've done in the past. I'm praying for revival. And I think that that's something that we all want. I want you, God, to act for the sake of your name, to do an amazing work in our day, just as you have done in days past. And as you've promised to do, we've seen you do it before. God, we believe that you can do it again. And so we're praying that in in the days that we're living in, God, that you would do a great and mighty work for the sake of your name. I hope that you pray for that, church. I hope that you pray for that often. Last week, we had an amazing Easter celebration. Last week, there were 116 people in this room. But more importantly than that, they were here because, number one, by the grace of God, God drew them. But number two, you, and I want to just encourage you for a minute, because you as God's people, with a sense of urgency last week, made it your mission to invite somebody to come and be with you on Easter Sunday to hear the gospel of the risen Christ. Amen? That's what happened last week. Um, just a season for me before Easter of uh, not even being able to encourage you in that the week before. I'm thankful for Tony and his leadership the week before. But just coming really prepared to celebrate Easter Sunday. And there were people who were here that were here because someone invited them or because they're the family of someone that was here. Or even people who've been attending regularly who may not even be members yet invited people to come. Because we expected God to do something great. But Easter is just one Sunday. It's just one Sunday of the year. What if, what if we lived every day with the same intentionality and expectancy that we lived with leaning into Easter Sunday? What if, For the sake of God's name, for the sake of the gospel, we lived with the same celebration, the same anticipation, the same eagerness, expecting God to move this Sunday just like He did last Sunday. You see, that's the heart of what it means to pray for revival. It's waiting and expecting that God is going to do something every single time we gather. In fact, This is true of a lot of things in Christianity. It's about waiting on God to act. We know the promises of God. We expect them, but we don't expect them always in God's time frame. We expect them in our time frame. And we're not really so good at waiting on Him. We don't don't wait well. And this is the heart of the struggle. 
And Habakkuk has been struggling with looking at everything around him and going, yeah, I know you said, God, but when? When is it going to happen? We don't wait well. And he says, the Lord says to Habakkuk, you must wait. In fact, remember chapter 2 and verse 3? For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Such a great text to lean into where we're going. We're going to begin next week walking together through the book of John, the Gospel of John, and just knowing what it means to believe the Gospel. I'm praying for a lot of things that I'll share with you more next week. But what if, what if we got it into our gut and in, down into our hearts that, that every day, every day, Jesus is still alive and every day is like Easter Sunday and any day could be the day that Jesus is coming back. How would it change how we live and how we wait? Well, let's answer that question. So if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we finish this book together. Habakkuk chapter three. We'll begin in verse 16 and really focus on the second part of verse 16 and following. But let's begin here. Actually, I tell you what, let's begin at verses one and two and then jump to verse 16 or verse. Yeah, verse one and two. Habakkuk chapter three, verse one says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiginoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. This is his prayer. And in response to what he knows in verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. To come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with the stringed instruments. Let's pray. God, as we finish this book today, I pray that you would remind us of what you have so powerfully done in the gospel. God, that you would remind us that you have done an amazing work for us of salvation, that you have ridden out Jesus on your cults, God, you've come to the cross, you've gone to the, the tomb, you've been raised from the dead, Jesus, and you've done this for our salvation. And so may we rejoice in that today and be reminded of that and the reality that we worship you every day of our life and that we have been set apart for a mission to bring as many people this good news as you've given it to us that all might hear and that many might be saved. And so I pray, God, that You would plant an urgency in our hearts 
for the sake of your mission and that today you would be glorified in that. Lord, if there's someone here today even who has never come to faith in Jesus Christ, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Revival is coming. So quietly wait on the Lord. Revival is coming. So quietly wait on the Lord. I want you to hear this tension in the heart of Habakkuk here. Verse 16, he, he knows what's coming. He's, he's talked about all of these things that we looked at a few weeks ago. All of these things that God has done in times past and mainly surrounding the exodus there in Egypt. Most of these historical events seem to be pointing in that direction And so in saying all of these things and having heard that God is about to do a work today, the likes of which if he were to tell Habakkuk everything that's going to happen, he wouldn't even believe it if he heard it. And so in the midst of all of this and knowing what God had done in times past, Habakkuk is moved to trembling. In verse 16 he says, I hear and my body trembles. In other words, I hear you God, but... I'm scared to death. Like as I think about you moving in that way, I I just shake. Have you ever been so overwhelmed at the reality of something that your lips quiver? (laughs) That that you just seem to to be shaking all of the time. You can't get any real stability about your body. He describes his lips shaking and his knees being weak. His uh, rottenness entering into his bones. It's, it's this idea, kind of the same thing as we would say, I've got a pit in my stomach. Anybody ever been in that position? Where you've just got this anxiety that just seems like it won't go away. He's just incredibly raw here. Just really human. And he says, God, I know what you've promised, but it scares me out of my mind. I know that it has to happen and I know the things coming after it are good, but I'm scared to walk through everything that I'm going to have to walk through in order to continue to be faithful. And this is so like us, isn't it? We should be, of all people, the most courageous people on the planet, shouldn't we? Shouldn't, amen? Jesus is alive, amen? We should be the most courageous people on the planet, but sometimes... We're the most fearful people on the planet. And there is this war that happens between what we know to be true and what we're feeling in our circumstances and the the thing that we know to be true in our heart and our mind that God has spoken by His Word. That's the thing that has to win out. But it's a battle. And it's a battle here for Habakkuk. But then in the second half of the verse, even though he's confessed this trembling, this kind of fearfulness, He's quieted. He says, even though I'm scared to death, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And who is it that has promised this day of trouble? God has promised for the sake of His glory and the sake of the good of His people, the faithful remnant, God has promised to bring trouble, judgment against the wicked. So what is Habakkuk saying? He says, I will quietly wait upon the Lord. You see, revival is coming. So quietly wait on the Lord. 
That's a very different response than the Habakkuk of chapter 1, isn't it? It's a very different response. The objecting kind of Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? He's objecting. He says, how long, God, are you going to wait before you do something? And now he says, no, I, I'll be the one to wait, Lord, because you know exactly what you are doing. Verse 16 in chapter 3, he says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. And the word quietly is more than just kind of a speechless waiting. I think sometimes when we think about waiting on the Lord and being still and quiet, we think about that all famous verse in Psalm 46 and verse 10 that says, be still and know that I am God. And, and we think somehow that it's just this inactivity that, that we're sitting kind of passively hunkering down, waiting for the storm to pass so that on the other side of it, we can recognize him as Lord, but that's not the meaning of the word. The word is much like what Paul talks about in women being quiet in the church. It never meant silence. It meant this posture of quiet living, a posture of reverent submission before the Lord, recognizing who he is and giving ourselves wholeheartedly and fully to submitting our lives to him. It's this idea of worship and obedience brought together in one place. You might describe it as faithfulness. And he says, patiently, wait on the Lord. Patience that confessionally believes and trusts that God is in fact sovereign. Not just giving lip service to a doctrinal creed, but in reality, holding on to with all of your heart the reality that Jesus is on the throne and that He's reigning and that everything He's said will come to pass in His perfect timing and trusting that it is so. And what Habakkuk says is, that's how I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Quietly wait upon Him. Revival is coming. So quietly wait on the Lord. i got to confess to you this morning that that is really hard for me. <laughs> I, maybe I'm alone this morning, but I don't do that very well. My heart desires to wait. Maybe like you, I, I really want to wait on the Lord. I, I hear this response. I want to be like this, but my flesh is incredibly weak. Am I, am I speaking alone this morning? Is there anybody else here like that? That your flesh is just weak and I don't want to wait on God. I, I want Him to move now. Like I'm ready right now. It's one of the hardest parts of our walk with Jesus. Most of the Christian life is about hurry up and wait. And you see, that's the sanctification part. That's the part that reminds us that we're not complete yet and God's work in us is not done yet. God is still doing and working out what He started in us. God, I know You're going to do something and I want it now. And this part of me and my flesh, God is shaping that and He's, He's destroying fleshly tendencies and raising up in me things that look like Jesus. This is where I grow so impatient. And it often, in me, I, I don't know how to reconcile what I see in the present with what God has promised to do in the future. I don't think I'm alone this morning. 
And then here is where this often translates into my life and our life and our life together as a church. When, when I have to wait for very long and things don't turn out the way I expect them to, or at least within a reasonable amount of time from my perspective, I begin to wonder if they ever will. I give up. I may not say that I quit, right? Or I may even never believe that I've actually quit, but I slowly begin to fade in the things that I know God has called me to. They grow lax. I'm not hungry for the Word as much as I once was because I'm tired of waiting. My prayer life tends to grow shorter and shallower because I don't see the results that I'm looking for and I'm tired of waiting. My worship becomes more routine and mechanical. And I'm not as passionate about God as I used to be. Because I'm tired of waiting. I I grow less content and more impatient. I'm prone to complain more and question more. I know that's none of you. This is my life, right? Complain more and question more about what God's doing. I I become easily distracted from the things of God. Other things become more important. I I begin to wrestle internally with doubts and unbelief. And I, I come to this crisis where what is it that I really believe to be true about God because it just doesn't seem to align with the things that I'm seeing around me. Eventually, I, I stop being as committed to the gathering of God's people or to the work of God's kingdom. Eventually, I stop being faithful to proclaim this good news that I've found to be so good of the gospel, and I stop calling people to believe it. You see, I stop waiting well. And to all of us this morning, Habakkuk is saying, revival is coming. Revival is coming. It's still coming. So keep quietly waiting on the Lord. Keep waiting. Now, waiting on the Lord is not inaction. Again, it is reverent submission. It is worship and obedience. It's faithfulness. It is, in fact, living every day like this Sunday is Easter Sunday. And like any day, Jesus could return back for His people. Studying the Word like that. Praying like that. Worshiping like that. Giving like that. Witnessing like that. Investing your whole life like this is the greatest day in history. So what does that action look like in the life of the believer? Well, what we see in the prayer of Habakkuk here is five different things that waiting on God is going to call us to. So as you think about Habakkuk in this back and forth conversation and and Habakkuk complaining and God responding and Habakkuk saying, well, that doesn't work. And God saying, well, here's how it does work. And maybe this is the kind of dialogue you've had with God before. And after all of your complaining, you get to the end and you get content. What does it mean to be content and wait on God? What are the things that are going to be a part of your life? Well, number one, waiting on God calls us to worship. Waiting on God calls us to worship. 
The end of verse 16, when he says, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. What he's saying is, in reverent submission, which includes a, a heart response and a life response. So a, a, an affection for God and an obedience to God. Both of the, these things together as an act of worship, he says, I will quietly wait on the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. But I find it really easy to worship, to express my heart to the Lord, to be joyful in the Lord, to to be satisfied by God when everything in my life is going perfect. Anybody else in the room? That's pretty easy, right? I'm, I'm at church. I, I want to be here. I, I'm in a good mood. My wife loves me. Uh, uh, you know, my kids are not upset with me. Things are just going really well in my life. And then it all just goes rock bottom, right? I mean, I know none of you have been there, but maybe I'm just giving testimony this morning. It just goes nuts. And sometimes it just gets really rough, right? Over the past three weeks or so, four weeks or so in my life, um, it's been some tough days. Losing um, someone that I, I love dearly. And then to have to be kind of confined to a room by myself, no one else, to get over COVID. It was the most depressing time. It is hard to worship in those kind of moments. And for many of us, that's light compared to what some of the human experience looks like. I mean, there are moments in our life that we wish would never have happened and we wish that we could forever forget, but they are there. And some of you even this morning might be in the place that you're walking through some of the hardest moments of your life. And what Habakkuk is saying is that moment is the moment I'm going to worship in. That's where I'm going to quietly submit to the Lord. It is, listen to me, It is easy to worship when everything's good. It is hard to worship when everything is tough. But it is so much sweeter in that moment rather than in the former moment. To know that God is sustaining me, that through the storm I am held, that Christ has won, and that God has prevailed, we know Those moments that God is seated on His throne, no matter what we see, and in this wrestling moment between the tension of our heart and our mind as we see the things around us and what we know to be true, in this moment we are driven to worship a sovereign and holy God who is holding everything in the palm of His hand. This is where worship is really born. Reverent submission. And it must be both of those things. It cannot be an affection for God alone. This is what is so dangerous about much of the modern church movement. Is that it must be reduced to mere emotionalism. Where we simply speak this affection for God. Sing this affection for God. Cry this affection for God. But it never evidences itself. It never works itself out. In practical discipline and obedience before the Lord every day of our lives. 
True worship, yes, must be affection for God. It must rise from the heart, but it cannot be void of obedience. Otherwise, it is empty. It is reverent submission to the Lord. Worship and obedience. Faithfulness. We tend to worship when His promises are realized. But worship is sadly missing whenever the promises of God are in the distant future. When suffering comes, what begins to happen is all of that is stripped away from us and our worship is refined. I love how much sweeter worship is as we come out of suffering and even at the valley than it is whenever we're on the mountaintop. God does amazing works there. And so when you wait on the Lord, you're learning to worship. You're learning to worship Him. Secondly, waiting on God calls us to trust. Waiting on God calls us to trust. This is kind of odd language, but just follow this. Verse 17, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Well, when we live in a day in which you can order your groceries on Walmart pickup and stop by and never even go into the store, this is a little bit distant from us, right? Whenever you live in a culture where you're dependent upon the land and your own ability to work it, to eat, that's a little bit different scenario, isn't it? I've never been in that position before in my life. My grandparents, my dad's parents, that's what they did. They grew up farming. And when you need the land and the land gets destroyed, well, maybe you just are tempted to say, God's all of a sudden gone. He's not providing for us anymore. And this is the picture. God said, I'm bringing Babylon and I'm going to destroy the land flowing with milk and honey. You get that, right? This is where this is. This is the promised land. And God is all of a sudden saying, I'm taking it back. God, that doesn't make much sense. And it goes from bad to worse. Like the fig tree, no big deal. They were delicacies. But the fruit on the vine is a drink that they drank often. Produce of the olive. This is, this is oil that they would actually cook with. This is really important in the way that they lived. The fields yielding no food. If they had no grain, there would be many parts of the land that would starve to death. Flocks being cut off from the fold. Sometimes, I mean, they would, they would use the flock for meat, but, but shepherding was a major industry. There would be no herd in the stalls. They didn't eat cattle very much then. They ate more of the lambs, but even so, they did some, and, and they used them for work. Any one of those things being taken away, the culture is impacted, but when you take everything away, this is utter ruin. Have you ever been at the place where God has promised you more than you could ever imagine in Jesus and then your whole life seems like everything went to utter ruin in a moment? 
It's in those moments that we wrestle with this tension between what our eyes see and what we must believe by faith. That's the decision that must be made. Chapter 2, verse 4, he said, The righteous shall live by his faith. And Habakkuk's circumstances had not changed. In fact, they had not quite gotten as bad as they were going to get. The world around him was just going to be remains. And it remained equally as corrupt as it was before he began this dialogue with the Lord. God's people were still suffering. But Habakkuk says, I am going to turn to praise. Why? Because he had heard God's voice and he had seen God's vision and he knows that the ultimate outcome of history is that God is going to win. (laughs) And so because of this, he makes a decision to trust in the Lord despite what he sees in the moment. Isn't that hard? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Waiting on God calls us to trust in Him even when we don't see the outcome. We just sang about that this morning. Even when I don't see it, you're working. We believe that to be true. And so in the moments of waiting on the Lord, we're taught to trust in Him, aren't we? We're taught to trust in Him. Yeah. Third, waiting on God calls us to joy. I I love that one, Brother Curtis. Calls us to joy. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, even though all this is coming, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That is perhaps the hardest thing to maintain in the moments of suffering, isn't it? The emotional side of our faith. Over the last four weeks, it has not been easy to smile. But sorrow lasts for the night, the Bible says, and joy comes in the morning. Jesus said, I I came that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. The Christian life is a joyful experience whereby all of our sorrows and all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our sinfulness is being removed from our life day by day, has been forgiven at the cross. We've been sealed in the Holy Spirit and one day our joy will be complete when we stand before the throne. This is Good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Waiting on God calls us to joy. And again, it's a a joy that's more than mere emotionalism. And it's a joy that's rightly placed. Those two things you need to get about what it means to have Christian joy. It's more than mere emotionalism and it's, it's, it's joy, it's satisfaction, it's happiness that's rightly placed. Here's what happens when our joy goes away. 
we realized that our joy was more, it was more about just kind of this emotional, emotionalism where we could smile and we could laugh and we could, we could have a, a, a good feeling about life. And on the other side, we realized that our joy was wrongly placed. Because if joy is rightly placed in God, right? He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. He, when he rejoices in the Lord, when it's rightly placed, and when it's this enduring kind of joy that lasts through suffering, that lasts through difficulty, and is still there whenever you get to the other side, when it's that kind of joy, it doesn't fade. It doesn't fade. It may not always be accompanied with a smile, but it is always filled with contentment, a joy in God. Too many times we rest our joy and our happiness in earthly things. And I promise you this morning, if you put your joy and your happiness in earthly things, it will quickly disappear. Here one moment, gone the next your joy is simply in earthly things. But when your joy is in the Lord, the God of my salvation, by the way, he says, it's a gospel-centered joy. And and listen to this. When your hope, when your joy is gospel-centered, here's what this means. My whole world just fell apart. It doesn't matter. Jesus has secured everything on the cross and in His resurrection and nothing can take that away. I, I just lost my job. I still got Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm sick. I'm ill. That's going away eventually when I get to heaven. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if my wife loves me anymore and how I can stand in this marriage anymore. Jesus loves me with everything that I am and nothing I could do could ever separate me from His love. Do you see that this is an impenetrable, bulletproof joy in the Lord that is gospel-centered whenever Jesus saves my soul? But that phrase, the God of my salvation, also leads us to a, a second thing or number four this morning that waiting on God calls us to, and that is to mission. Waiting on God calls us to mission. Because if I have joy, listen, oh, listen, church. If I have joy in the God of my salvation, then I'm not content for anybody else to not have that joy of God for their salvation. Not content. I want everyone to hear the gospel. It's really tragic. That so many believers grow content in having the joy of the Lord through God's salvation and the gospel in their own life and fail to tell others about the good news of Jesus for themselves. That's not consistent with Christianity. Don't you see that in Habakkuk? Chapter 3 and verse 13. He says, you went out not for my salvation, although that would be true. He says, you went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed. In fact, all of this book is Habakkuk going to the Lord on behalf of the people and saying, God, will you please save us? Will you please save them? Like this is the burden of his heart. I know, God, you are holy and just and I am desiring that you will save 
your people. Is this the story of our life? Do we live on mission in that way? Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run. And the, the idea is anyone might run who reads it. He wants all to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus is coming to save. Our God is writing out for the salvation of his people. So waiting in this time of waiting for God to do all that he's going to do. We live on mission. That means that if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, we as God's church want you to hear the good news that Jesus saved this morning. That though you are lost in your sin and separated from a holy God, that today Jesus will forgive all of your sin and heal your life, save your soul, and you can be in heaven with God forever. You will by faith repent of your sins today and put all of your trust in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we want you to hear this morning. And the good news, Christian, that you ought to share tomorrow morning as you go out into the world. And finally, one more thing in the waiting. Waiting on God calls us to reliance. None of these things can be done in your own strength. In fact, verse 19 says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And the picture is of this deer that is just simply prancing around and enjoying Life and not thinking about where its food is going to come from, not thinking about how many more days it's going to live or all the trouble that may be around it, but just simply prancing around, enjoying the world that God has created. God, the Lord, is my strength. That word there is Yahweh. It is the personal, unique name for the only one true God. And that Lord, the one whom I know, is my strength. I love Isaiah chapter 40 in so many places, but the end of it, verse 28 and following, he says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. If you're a Christian this morning, that is your God. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In our waiting, we are often found depending upon our own strength and our own flesh. And the Bible says that all of those things will fail us. But when God is our strength, we rise up on wings like eagles. So what if, what if we waited well? What if we were to live every day like today's Easter and Jesus is alive and He could come back today to receive His people? What if in our waiting we were to worship passionately and trust fully 
And rejoice always and be on mission with great urgency and rely totally upon God. What would that look like? I wonder if Southwide Baptist Church were to live this week like next Sunday is Easter and we got to share the gospel with as many people as we can and invite as many people as we can to come and worship this risen Christ, what it might look like in this room in six months. I wonder. I want you to know, church, that God is doing a great work among us. I sense a stirring, a move of God in our midst. God is bringing people. He is unbelievably bringing people who have various giftings and callings that fit right with the things that God is doing here. It's an amazing thing. I could tell you story after story after story of the kinds of conversations I've had over the last couple of months. Amazing, amazing things. So do we... Believe it. Do you believe this? That Jesus is alive. That revival is coming. And that we must quietly wait upon the Lord. Would you bow your heads all across the room? Write the vision and make it plain so that He may run who reads it. This is our aim. And my goal, my prayer for you has been that you've seen the vision of the Lord for our church and for our lives Whether you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've seen the Gospel at work. You've seen this good news that you too can be saved and know Jesus today. Be forgiven of your sins. And so it is an opportunity this morning that we want to give you at this time of invitation that just simply says, will you come and follow Jesus? Will you turn from your sin today and trust in Christ? A few moments when we stand, this altar is going to be open. I'll be here down front. And we are, we are praying for you that you would decide to follow Jesus today. Giving up all of your life and trusting in Him. And so right where you're standing, will you come from that place where you're standing and say, Pastor, today I, I want to be saved. Will you help me? And I will lead you to the One who will save you. His name's Jesus and He's the only One who can. But maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian, and you say, I've seen the vision of the Lord in God's Word, and I'm just excited about what God's doing. I want to be a part of it in big ways, and I, I want to ask the Lord this morning what that looks like in my life. Or maybe you want to come and commit in a certain way to serving the Lord in a particular area of your life. Or, or maybe that leads you this morning to some point of spiritual decision in following God and in a way, maybe joining this church or maybe you've never been baptized or maybe there's some other thing in your life and you just got to follow the Lord today. We want you to come. And so in just a few moments when we stand and pray, it'll be our time of invitation, this time of response where you can come and trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So would you stand with me all across this room? I'm going to pray and this altar will be open. Stephanie's going to play. We're responding to the Lord in obedience this morning. Reverent submission. Jesus We love You today and we worship You with all of our hearts. You are the risen Christ and You have given Your life for us. So today, we give our lives to You. And we ask that You would help us to see what You're calling us to and that You would do a great and mighty work in our day, even as You've done in times past, a day of revival in these days, stirring among Your people, saving the lost, and that we would see just a move of God that if You were to tell us about it, we wouldn't even believe it. We want to see you move today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stephanie begins to play. The altar's open this morning. You come. Maybe you need to come this morning and pray. Just simply spend time with the Lord. This altar's open. 
Whatever the case is this morning, you come. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.